necessarily reflect the views or opinions of this station. just kind of marveling at the fact that first the weather doesn't look like the month we're in but that's true all across the country but I'm just going to confess to you all month long I have been using the wrong month and so as we're here on the last day of the month that I've been forgetting <laughs> I'm glad we're in the next month so the dates that I'm using will be correct well it was confusing because we had just about every form of weather in April. We had rain. We had snow. We had uh, icicles on my house. It was hot a couple days. And um, you just never knew what to expect when you got up. But now we're looking at May and hopefully we'll have some stability in May because we got stuff to do. Well, you know, I've been working at home as part of this new post-pandemic era, and so I've found a lot of things to be disoriented now. I was in a pretty much of a routine when I was getting up, going in the office every day and coming home, but now I'm not only forgetting the dates, but, okay, I'm just going to confess to the whole listening audience, sometimes I even forget if I've taken a shower that day. <laughs> well, as long as nobody's in the house, that's okay. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So th the topic we're going to, to talk about today is, is actually one that we don't mean to make light of mm. at all. Although sometimes you do just have to laugh at yourself. We are, and, and we've gotten a lot of phone calls about this topic. Mm. Um, and so what we would encourage our listeners to do is to send us feedback before, during, and after the show, as always, at the windowfeedback at gmail.com. And then also for prior shows, and also for this one, once it's done, you can listen to recordings of past shows on our website. And our website is the window now, thewindownow.com. And it pertains to just about every age group and ethnicity it transcends any specific person because if you are a baby boomer you're concerned about possibly having a memory loss and if you're younger and you have parents or family that are baby boomers um, it's a concern and it's also an after effect of certain diseases regardless yes. of age so um I know when I forget things, I get scared, you know, like, well, let me let me try to work it through and get the right answer. Um, and so I'm really interested in what we're talking about today, not necessarily from the Alzheimer's background, but that's part of it. Just in general, as you get older, it's almost like your brain gets bigger and bigger and bigger with more information, like a library. And then when you go in it to pick one piece out, you got to go through all the files and books and things and it's hard i think my brain gets smaller and smaller and smaller but it is a normal reaction in our society when, when you when you forget something when you forget why you walked in the room, you forget 
name, your mind automatically goes to, gee, do I have Alzheimer's? Mm -hmm. And so on our show today, we're, we're very honored that we have guests, numerous guests from the Alzheimer's Association. When you have memory loss, it is not necessarily Alzheimer's, but they're very knowledgeable about dementia in all its forms. And so we're going to hear from them. And then we have a medical professional here, too, as well, a pharmacist, because we hear about over-the-counter remedies for everything. And so we want to check those out and see what's what's real and not so real. So to all of our guests on the window, we thank you. And our, our guests from the Alzheimer's Association with us, are you on the line? We are here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to allow, again, we have three guests here today from the Alzheimer's Association, which is all over the country. You know, we broadcast from Central Ohio. But we're going to allow our guests to introduce themselves and their roles as they speak. And, Vince, we will start with you. Thank you for joining us here on the window. Good morning. Good morning. I was was just thinking as you were speaking, um, your show called The Window, and that's a lot of, you know, how I think about the window into your memories of, mm-hmm. of the past. And for me, I'm the executive director for the Alzheimer's Association here in Central Ohio. So we cover 14 counties in Central Ohio. We have chapters all across the country to cover every part of the country and the state. Uh, and we work in this field every day helping families. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a researcher. I am the person who uh, drives our chapter staff and volunteers to reach as many people as we can. So we, we, we very much appreciate being on here with you today and reaching as many people as we can. I'm, I'm of the age too, much like you mentioned, I think of it more of a, like a computer hard drive. I, I store information in my files. As, as I get older, it, some days it just doesn't seem to want to run as fast. And, you know, we can talk a bit about what Alzheimer's is, what dementia is, it's important to know that, you know, there's 6.2 million people diagnosed with Alzheimer's across the country, age 65 plus, um, but not all people age 65 plus are within that group. There's many people in their 50s that are diagnosed that we work with. And, you know, it's, it's important to understand what dementia is. Alzheimer's is one type of dementia, but a large part of that, about 75% of dementia cases are Alzheimer's disease. And there's a, uh, uh, there's a, uh, 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 mild cognitive impairment is, a, is something that you may feel as an individual. You may feel you've got a memory issue, that you're concerned about it. You want to talk to your physician about it. Um, I've truly felt that way. And oftentimes, mild cognitive impairment can be diagnosed that can turn into Alzheimer's. Or maybe resolved. It might be something that's due to uh, a medication or a lack of sleep, um, sleep apnea. Those kinds of things can cause some cognitive decline. And there's normal cognitive decline as you as you age. So we'll talk a little bit about that. I'll have my program manager Pam get into some more details about that and and some of the signs to look for. We have a program called the Arc, the Ten Signs. It's really important for people to understand what to look for when there is a concern. And then um, I'll turn it over to. Pam to introduce herself, but you know, one message if I can get it across is if you have a concern about yourself and a loved one, to start off is reach, talk, have, a, have a conversation with your primary care physician. That's an important thing. Pam, you want to introduce yourself? I sure will. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Pam Myers. I'm the program director for the Central Ohio chapter. 
of the Alzheimer's Association. And what that means is, is that I work with our program staff and an army of program volunteers to deliver care and support across of our 14 counties. And we um, really work to support our families, our caregivers, and our persons living with dementia. So I uh, just want to share with you as, as we get started a really um, one of the, the most frequent questions that my staff, myself, our volunteers get asked when we're out in the community is what's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's disease? And Vince touched on that a little bit. Um, if you think of dementia as the umbrella term, and it's, you know, individual changes in memory, thinking, reasoning, and there's many, many possible causes of dementia. Unfortunately, we've not unlocked the key to what causes it yet through our research. But Alzheimer's disease is a form of dementia, and as Vince said, it is um, about 70 to 75% of all dementia cases are Alzheimer's disease. And what differentiates Alzheimer's disease is a certain type of protein in the brain that builds up and eventually um, kills off brain cells, which causes the symptoms and the decline in the disease over time. I know that everyone wanted to talk about um, what's the difference between dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and normal signs of aging. Because you know what? If we have the privilege, we're all going to get older. So how do we how do we know some of the symptoms that you ladies were describing when we jumped on? How do we know if that's just normal aging, or is that Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia? And so I'm going to talk about a little bit uh, from our program called the 10 Morning Signs of Alzheimer's. And I'm going to give you really the cliff note version here, folks. Um, we do have a, a 30 to 60 minute education program that we provide in the community where you can learn in depth more about this. But let's talk about a few of the warning signs of Alzheimer's disease. First and foremost, you may have some memory loss. And the key here is that it's just... Uh, disrupts your normal functioning, your normal activity in your day. So you may forget something that you um, probably would know, you know, short-term memories, things that are common to you, things that you use every day. You might forget those things. And if you do that on a regular basis and you don't recall those memories uh, fairly quickly, sometimes that can be a sign um, maybe of Alzheimer's or dementia. Sometimes folks get confused with time or place. Uh, they might lose track of the day of the week, the month. And again, the key is, can you, do you just forget that momentarily and you recall that information or can you not really recall that information in a short period of time? You might have difficulty completing very familiar tasks. So, for example, if you're a cook, which I'm not, but if you are a cook and you have a lot of different recipes and you follow those recipes to prepare uh, dinners and lunches, and all of a sudden you're having trouble following those recipes on a regular basis, anything that requires um, processing and things that are familiar to you. Uh, you might have trouble keeping track of your monthly bills. Um, you know, sometimes... There are things that require us to really have uh, thought processes and, and familiar uh, 
things that we do all the time, like balancing our checkbook. And if we begin to see that we're having trouble keeping track of some of those things, maybe we're paying bills two times in the month instead of one, the same bill. Um, and we're not touching those things. Uh, that could be a, a sign. Sometimes folks have difficulty uh, remembering words. So you might be in conversation with someone and they, they pause because they can't remember a word that they want to say in the conversation. And again, all of us forget that stuff sometimes. Um, many of us will be out in the community and we might run into somebody that we've met before. And maybe we're like, oh my gosh, you know, in our minds we're thinking, I can't remember who this person is. And later on it comes to us. You know, that happens to all of us. Um, but continually or more often we begin to um, not be able to remember words. Sometimes that too is a sign of oncoming dementia. Um, misplacing things. This is one that people ask about a lot of times. So I'll use the example of misplacing your car keys. So, you know, many times um, I've put my car keys down in a different place and I go to find them again and they're not where I usually put them, right? Because I just get distracted. But I can usually retrace my steps, think about where I was, what I've been doing, where I left my keys. And I'll retrace those steps and I'll be able to find them and locate them. One time I left them on the floor of my husband's pot, and that took me a little while to figure out where they were. Other folks maybe who are um, moving into uh, mild cognitive impairment, they misplace their keys and they're unable to retrace those steps and figure out where they might have left them. They um, will come across their keys where they left them and say, you know, think, oh my goodness, you know, who left my keys there? You know, not realizing that they perhaps have done that. Another sign is uh, a decrease to poor judgment, um, making decisions that seem odd to family and loved ones that maybe previously you wouldn't have made, uh, different choices about um, foods or activities. Sometimes people see changes in moods and personality. And, you know, we all get the bad moods. Everybody does. Um, but really uh, significant changes, um, people reacting to different things. A lot of times folks that are moving into mild cognitive impairment and dementia will become very suspicious um, and, and very uh, distrustful of people that normally um, and previously they would have been very comfortable with. Uh, like children or spouses. There's also another sign to be a withdrawal with social activities. So if you have someone who's been very social, very active in their life, and then all of a sudden they decide to isolate or just not want to be around people, um, that could be a sign. And I know that happened to a couple that was very close to my parents. Um, the gentleman, uh, because many folks in that mild cognitive impairment and early stages of the disease, they recognize things are changing. They recognize things, something is wrong. And so many times they will choose to isolate rather than have to be around other folks. So those are, I, I'm gonna pause there because it's, it's a lot of information to take in. Um, but it, you know, again, reinforcing what Vincent said earlier, it's really important to get in. If you begin to notice these changes in someone that you love, 
or even in yourself, it's really important to get into your physician. And I'll explain why. I have a lot of people that I interact with in the communities that say, you know, Pam, if I'm having problems, you know, if I'm getting older and I'm going to get dementia, I really don't want to know about it. You know, I just, I, I don't want to deal with it. And I always encourage them, though, to go to the doctor because the signs and symptoms of dementia could be other um, physical health problems, perhaps an infection. You could have a hormonal imbalance. You could have be having mini strokes if you suffer from hypertension or diabetes. So based on your uh, other underlying conditions, if you have those, or anything that's going on in your life, it's really important to get into your doctor and get evaluated to make sure there's nothing else that uh, they could rule out um, that's causing some of these symptoms. So again, we have education programs about the 10 warning signs. Um, that are available in the community. And as has been said, we have chapters all over the country. We offer virtual programs for folks to log into and watch from the comfort of their home or office so that they can get educated about um, the disease and what to look for. I will say that age is the greatest risk factor for Alzheimer's and other dementias. So again, if we all have the privilege of aging in our lives, we all are at risk uh, for developing the disease. Excuse me, Pam. We yeah. have to take a break. Please. This is Dr. I. Before we go, are there any um, factors like gender or ethnicity um, or size that impact um, the probability of having dementia? Hello? Are you there? Sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> yes, I'll go over that real quickly. So we know that two-thirds of people that have Alzheimer's are women. We know that African Americans uh, have Alzheimer's and other dementia twice as frequently as our white Americans. We know that our Latina population is one and a half times likely to have dementia. And we know that... Um, uh, people over the age over the age of 85 are also uh, at 50 percent risk of developing dementia. So um, this is Dr. Joe. So I'm sitting here nervously tapping the table because I checked off quite a few of those too. boxes that you're talking about. And so as Dr. I said, we're going to take a break in just a moment. And we're going to come back and then we're going to start from the basics. We have a good foundation that you've just laid for us. Thank you as to what the warning signs are that you're perhaps transitioning into some form of dementia be it Alzheimer's or one of the other types you talked about but I want to come back from the break talking about let's first have a conversation about those symptoms that might feel like they're checking the boxes that you talked about but don't have you quite there yet so for example you talked about keys and, and I'm going to speak certainly not from the knowledge base that all of our experts today have but I like many others listening have had someone within our inner circle who suffered from dementia my best friend was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's in her early 50s which we'll talk about my dad in his 80s had a fall hit his head had a concussion and went into dementia from there and one example I was given with the car keys right or wrong is that 
losing your car keys, sometimes it's just a matter of slowing down. It's like I always come in the house, throw down my car keys and do 50 other things. Put them in a place where you can find them. And if you can't, if you have the cognitive skills to say, okay, I'll use the replacement for now. Here's where the replacement is. You could probably just make some lifestyle changes that would help. But if you're holding those car keys in your hand and you can't remember what to do with them or you're in the car without the car keys and you can't understand why you're not starting the car, then maybe it's time to call your doctor. We're going to take a quick break on the window. just commenting, thinking about at least 10 times a week, I have to look for a password. And I know it's my fault. I should write the password down immediately, but it seems like as soon as I learn it, then I've got to change it again. But I am very cognizant now of coming up with routines to keep me doing the same kind of patterns for Uh, regular activities or regular utensils that I use so that I don't have to freak out and say, oh, I've got Alzheimer's today. Um, And so I totally uh, take this conversation seriously. So we were talking before the break with representatives from Alzheimer's Association, Vince McGrail, Pam Meyer, and I'm so sorry, I'm going to totally mangle Jill's last name. So Vince, if you could say it for us, and we'll bring her on in just a moment. Sure. Jill Grossenheider will be joining us in just a moment. Thank you. And we also have in studio Dr. Gerald Jackson. He's a pharmacist. We'll also allow him to introduce himself and his background. And so he's going to be joining in our conversation. We all turn on the television or hear from our friends or learn at the cookout about the latest home remedy or the latest um, prescription medication that perhaps can be prescribed. So, Dr. Jackson, thank you as well for joining us. Please feel free to chime in whenever you think it's appropriate. So, we're talking about memory loss, starting on the on the scale of, gee, I'm just forgetting everything. Another thing I was told by my physician, who I consulted when I had concerns about memory loss, like our guests have recommended, he said, look at what you're doing every day. Are you doing too much? If so, you might want to cut back on some of the things you're doing. And are you doing a variety of different things that stimulate your brain? And for heaven's sake, do you ever sleep with all that you're doing and and just allow your brain and your body to recharge itself? So to our listeners, this is a serious topic. And we're going to go back again to the more serious forms of dementia all the way to Alzheimer's that impact not only the person suffering from it, but their families. But for just a moment, take a deep breath if you like I got even more nervous in listening to the show. And just think about whether there are some 
basic but important lifestyle changes you can make, like doc, like Dr. I. Write your passwords down. Put them someplace in the same place. Absolutely. And just recently, um, I think I shared with you all, I had a seizure. And after the seizure, I had to figure out how to come down here to the studio. Any other time, my car and I just automatically go down the streets. But because I go to Capitol University sometimes, and sometimes I come here, I ended up over at Capitol. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Well, my memory wasn't working right that day. Today, right over here, just like a, a, a bee. But yes, it's a serious topic, and um, we cannot take it lightly. I don't care what grade it is. So talk to your physician is what we want our readers, I'm sorry, our listeners to take away. We always want you to take away something. Talk to your physician. Listen to your family and loved ones. Have the hard conversations. If someone you know is experiencing symptoms of memory loss that aren't just the kind that you, that you joke about over lunch, but rather that you go, this is really impacting your safety and your quality of life. Please have that conversation. Please listen. Please talk to your health care provider. Now, we're going to stop for just a moment and, and turn the conversation back over to our friends from, from Alzheimer's Association. But first, we, we do what we call shameless plugs. So there's no way that within the context of the show, we're going to cover every topic that can be covered. Can you give us some shameless plugs about where people can go as it relates to the resources that Alzheimer's Association has available to help? Sure. First, I would I would ask people to call our helpline. We have a 24-hour-a-day, seven-days-a-week helpline that someone's going to answer on the other end that's a trained social worker. Um, any question that you have, any concern you have, if you want to just have advice on how to have a conversation with your physician or how to bring up a conversation with your spouse or your parents, um, you can call that helpline. It's one 800 272 3900, 1-800-272-3900. Um, and that's generally the way we get connected with people calling our helpline. Um, we have a local office here in Central Ohio that people can call the office directly, but if they also go to ALZ, as in Alzheimer's, ALZ.org, you're going to find a wealth of information there that will connect you to our local chapter here in Central Ohio, as well as online uh, information, education. It's like me, before I buy a car, I'm going online and I'm going to learn all I can about it before I have that conversation. A lot of people feel the same about before they have a conversation with a physician. It's a big help to be able to go online and just absorb some of that information or have that phone call with someone from our offices. Now, I'll tell you why I've gone to ALZ.org very frequently in the past because, as I shared before, I have a friend who, my best friend, who um, has Alzheimer's. And so I go looking for a cure. Where do we stand as it relates to medications, but also a cure? Can you talk to us about that? Sure. What I'll say is that we I've been with the organization now for eight years, and there is much more hope on the horizon than there ever has been in the time that I've been at the, at the association. Um, because over the past year, there's been a drug that's been approved by the FDA called Adrihelm, that if you're diagnosed in, in the MCI, mild cognitive impairment, or Alzheimer's uh, early stage, this drug could possibly help slow the progression of the disease down. And there's been conversations about what the data shows, how effective it may, may be, 
and it's continuing on in clinical trials. So right now, our, our challenge as an organization is to get more access, lower the cost of that, particularly drug. it's a very expensive drug, and you have to be in a clinical trial to get access to it right now to have Medicare coverage. So, but that drug is only the first in the class of drugs called monoclonal antibodies. And so there's a lot more promise in phase three clinical trials that, that we hope will be new drugs coming out in the next year or two that will help some, possibly help some people in the early stages of the disease. And that's another reason why it's important to have an early diagnosis because if treatments do become available, then there's a possibility of a, of a treatment that could slow down the progression of the disease, possibly one day stop the disease. It won't make, it won't improve the disease if you, you are already in the progression but it's possible that it could help slow it down. Now, we are also doing a lot of research in lifestyle change on how you might be able to prevent, lower your risk. Risk reduction is a big piece of the research that's happening these days. And there's also a lot of research just on diagnosis, just on having a biomarker that can tell you uh, that, that it, it could progress into the disease. It's really important for people to understand this. I, Every day I take a, I take a drug, a, a statin drug, to control my cholesterol level so that I don't, it doesn't develop into heart disease. We want the same type of pathway for Alzheimer's and dementia science so that there's a biomarker. There's something that can tell you that something's happening in your brain because we've learned that changes to the brain, the development of plaques and tangles can happen 20 years prior to actual uh, symptoms that occur when you're having when you're having that cognitive awareness something's not right when symptoms might start to occur possibly 20 years prior to that activities happening in the brain and what we want to to be able to have some type of biomarker that we can diagnose un understand what's happening and then possibly one day have a, a prescription a drug that could stop the progression before it reached the symptomatic phase before you actually starting to have to develop memory loss. So there's a lot of hope on the horizon. There's not a cure. I personally don't like using the term cure because it's gonna come in a lot of different ways, just like we have gotten cancer under, under much more control in the last 20 or 30 years. With a lot of different types of drugs, a lot of different methodologies of, of attacking it um, and diagnosing it. So that's what I'll say uh, as far as finding a cure. We have a lot of hope and the reason why we have hope is because we have a lot of passionate volunteers and advocates out there who are getting involved. They care about the cause. They've seen a loved one get lost. They've lost a loved one's disease. So they become an advocate. They sit down with us. We talk to Congress. We push for more research funding from NIH. And, you know, we've, we've grown the amount of research funding tremendously over the last seven or eight years. And that works its way into the hands of research scientists that find breakthroughs, that they share that information and, they, and it grows the, the dementia science that exists so that a drug could be developed in the future that could help slow or stop the disease. So even while we're awaiting the research that hopefully 
will continue to propel us forward with the most severe form of dementia, and that is Alzheimer's. If I'm understanding correctly, you're saying that for those of our listeners who are blessed enough right now to not have Alzheimer's, but to perhaps be experiencing some so-called normal memory loss, lifestyle changes geared toward being healthier can be helpful. Is that correct? Correct. There are lifestyle changes. There's a definite connection between heart health and brain health. And if we're able to lower the risk for uh, heart disease, you can also lower the risk for possibly lower the risk for In response to Dr. I's earlier question asking about racial differences, gender differences, African Americans and Hispanics, you said, were higher risk. Why is that? Well, uh, some of that is attached. There's there's a lot of research that's happening now to try to understand that. But there is research that's looking into those those types of lifestyle changes. So um, black Americans are higher risk. Or diabetes, and that's a disease that has a strong connection to Alzheimer's, uh, vascular dementia, and stroke. Um, they have a higher risk for those diseases, which can also have a strong connection to Alzheimer's or other dementia. Uh, high blood pressure. Forty percent of African Americans have high blood pressure, and at a risk for stroke. So that can lead to a greater risk for developing Alzheimer's. So if, if, if those of us, I will say, who have high blood pressure know what we should be doing about that condition in terms of exercise, diet, regular health checkups, that's something we should be doing, right? Absolutely. And you can have that conversation, conversation with your physician um, about what you can do to keep those things under control, keep your blood pressure down. It's going to hopefully lower your risk for developing so we've talked a lot about the patients um, who are experiencing this, but based on my experience and the experience of so many others, it impacts the entire family. Can you talk to us about caregiving for someone who's dealing with dementia? Sure. And Pam, feel free to jump in here, but for every person that's been diagnosed, there are two to three caregivers. And in a family, it can be emotionally financially draining. Um, it's a long progression disease. Um, my my wife's aunt lived with Alzheimer's for 20 years before she passed because she was otherwise healthy in developing that. And it was just a, a, a massive um, weight on the family for providing care and support to her. And then working through all of the decisions and challenges of financial planning, finding long-term care memory facilities when needed. Um, And it's all of those things that our association is there for. So we could spend hours talking through all the challenges that families face along that path. But we have developed, you know, education programs with our organization, with Alzheimer's Association, to help families along the journey. So we have care, care consultations with families that help them put a plan in place and then have check-ins along the way. Whenever there is an issue, they can call the helpline, call our staff, and help them you know, with those challenges that arise. Kim, you want to add to that? Sure, Ben. Thank you. Um, I think too that another really important thing for our caregivers and our families uh, are to seek out support groups. 
because in a support group, you're going to find people there that are experiencing the same, um, they're, they're, they're on the same journey. They may have different experiences, but they're on that caregiving journey. Um, and they're, they're grieving the loss of the person as the journey progresses, as people lose their memories. And so, you know, to be able to interact with other people who are experiencing the same thing is very comforting. Um, it's uplifting. It helps people. Uh, they may learn tips and strategies from other caregivers that might work for them. Um, I've just had the privilege to be involved in many caregiver support groups and you know, it's good to see people leave those those uh, activities a little bit lighter and, um, you know, feel supported uh, in, in that. So I would say in addition to the education programs and the care consultation, that the support groups are, are really, really important for our caregivers. So if someone contacts your organization and everything that you just mentioned in terms of resources, financial planning, perhaps some legal assistance in, in getting powers of attorney and that type of thing, support groups, can, can you all help connect them to those types of resources? We sure can. Uh, we have uh, all of our program staff um, can connect any constituents, any callers, any families, um, any persons working with dementia in the early stages we can connect to them with any resources that they might need in their community. Yep. And tell us your helpline number again. Absolutely. It's 800-272-3900. And, and you mentioned the, the cost of medications and lobbying to get some assistance there. What about these other resources? It sounds like they cost money too. Well, the resources in the community have costs associated with them, of course, for long-term care facilities or positions that we can help connect people to. But it's important to note the services that our association provides, all of us we provide at no charge, no cost. That's why we have such a uh, broad fundraising uh, work that we do for our walk-in Alzheimer's and our annual gala, other things that we, we do in the community to raise funds that allows us to provide those services at a local level. And that also supports our direct association research grants that moves research forward. But um, for those resources in the community, we have a wealth of knowledge within our organization to connect families to, to care and support the, the resources they need. We're going to talk more about memory loss, ranging from the normal memory loss that you can take steps to control to the more severe forms of memory loss and dementia that there are resources available to help you with when we come back on the window. Live talk shows, church programs, and much, much more. Only on 1580thepraise.com. I may never have met you. We don't go way back. 
maybe we wouldn't even be friends if we did. But when you wear a mask, you have my respect. Because your mask doesn't protect you. It protects me. I wear my mask to protect you. Mask up, America. Brought to you by the Ad Council. April is Minority Health Month. The Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association urges you to support the Ohio Commission on Minority Health and their mission to eliminate health disparities in Ohio underserved communities. During Minority Health Month, agencies across Ohio post events that highlight information addressing health concerns for people of color. Sickle cell disease affects a vast majority of African-American households. Educate yourself about your hemoglobin status, sickle cell disease, and trait. Contact the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association at 614-228-0157. Or log on to OhioSickleCell.org. This is Larry Griffin, affectionately known as Pop Griff. And this is Linda Griffin, affectionately known as Mom G. Bringing to you once again, Project Reading Youth Talk, conversations from a youth perspective, right here on Gold Chip Communications, 1580thephrase.com. Our show will also be available on Project Reading Facebook Live. Please tune in every third Saturday of the month at 4 p.m. Young folks, got concerns, got questions? Well, we got, got answers. answers. This is the Gold Chip Communication Station, 1580thepraise.com. We're back on the window talking about memory loss. I've trained myself. I forget names all the time. And I finally had to train myself. When, when it happens, don't panic. Just chill out and continue with the conversation. And all of a sudden, It'll pop back hours in. later, I'll call somebody and say, you know what? <laughs> This afternoon, we were talking about whatever. Here's whose name I was talking about. But memory loss, we have representatives here talking about the wonderful services offered by Alzheimer's Association. And Vince McGraw, CEO here locally in Columbus, Ohio, you said it takes two to three caregivers, I believe. And and I, from what I've seen as it relates to families in particular, but oftentimes we'll say, well, gee, Sister Betsy is taking care of mom. And so the rest of Sister Betsy needs help. (laughs) And, And so it is a family problem. But it seems, especially since there is an age component, component there is such a thing as early onset alzheimer's so for those of you who are listening who are younger please know that but with the increasing number of baby boomers an increasing number of people living longer this feels to me like it's a societal issue what is our society doing to to support all of us well it is definitely a public health crisis uh that we're in and it's a dramatic um difficult impact on families, but at large, the growing population, the fact that this this disease is gonna double in size if we don't find ways to slow it down or stop it. Um, and we're working very hard on a public policy front to, to, to move our um, federal government to provide not only just more, more research dollars since 2013, We've grown research funding for the NIH from 500 million to about 3.5 billion these days, which is fantastic. But we're also pushing hard on issues that will support the caregivers, the families at a federal and state level. So at the, at the federal level, you know, we are, Congress passed the Bold Act, which really will establish um, centers of excellence across the country and we provide funding to the state, local uh, governments that will help 
Um, but we're also pushing for what we what we want one day is when you get a diagnosis, just like you do if you get a diagnosis with with cancer or, or heart disease, that you have a care plan immediately right there with your physician. That doesn't happen these days. Oftentimes, there's diagnosis and the families aren't told where to turn. And we work hard with physicians to refer people to us that we can help educate them and put a care plan in place. But our hope one day is not to have to do care planning for families, but that's provided and it's covered by insurance or Medicare. Um, so we're doing a lot of work on that front from a public health perspective. Um, and we have advocates in the month of May, we'll, we'll be taking about a thousand of our advocates from across the country to Washington, D.C. We haven't been able to do that for two years, but we're going to meet with every member of Congress to push on the policies that are going to help families. And at the state level, we've got a, a we've got a um, governor's DeWine task force on Alzheimer's and other dementia that, that we helped create as, a, as an organization that's putting together recommendations for the state of Ohio on what is needed across housing, across care and support, um, even even some research components there that I'm sure once those recommendations come out, um, the next step for us will be how do we fund those recommendations and how do we get people involved to, to develop a plan for the state to help families. So there's a lot of activity happening on the public policy front. So we have a doctor in the house who says a fun fact about him is he might run for political office someday, so we might see him lobbying. Dr. Gerald Jackson, by the way, for our friends from Alzheimer's Association, if you could stay on the line, we always like to be sure and close our show with what our listeners can do. And you mentioned some fundraisers that I want to be sure um, that we talk more about and volunteer opportunities. So Dr. Gerald Jackson, though, is a registered pharmacist with the state of Ohio and the state of Missouri. But again, our listeners are all around the country and so his information will be valuable to you as well. He's the owner of an independent pharmacy here in Central Ohio for those of you who are in Columbus Doctors Pharmacy downtown at 270 South Grant Street. He's been a staff pharmacist for various organizations before that. He's a public speaker on a variety of subjects and the subject he's going to help us with today is talking about all these remedies that we hear about and read about on television and from our friends. So Thank you for joining us as well. You've been listening very patiently and, and been very supportive through this through this conversation. So talk to us about what's on the market now. Well, there's a lot on the market. But kind of before we I go into things that are on the market, I want to say this to all the listeners. For the last two and a half years, you really haven't had the opportunity to see your provider one-on-one. Maybe it's been through a telehealth visit. I'd really encourage you now, especially if you've been vaccinated and boosted, to schedule that visit to be in person. Because if we're going to talk about diagnosing as something as serious as Alzheimer's or dementia or any memory loss, we would want you to see, be seen by a provider in person. That's my recommendation for today. And I also want to say thank you, Dr. I, for your example that you provided. Because many things that I can set up here and say to you today are about remedies that you can go potentially get over the counter or recommendation by a healthcare professional. But a testimonial is way more powerful than anything that I can tell you on this call today. So thank you for that. I also have to recognize that I'm a witness to myself every single day, so you are a witness to yourself. And I think that's where the power is in detecting Alzheimer's early. Don't measure your situation with someone else's situation and what your loss may be versus what their loss may be because that may be a mistake, to be perfectly honest with you. You need to figure out where you are. Just have a real conversation, not only with yourself, but with all your loved ones. 
All right. So with that said, medication is used frequently to help with memory loss, right? It depends on what that memory loss is. There's different types of memory loss. We talked about what dementia is. It could just be simply a concussion that you sustained when you were a football player. I got a lot of friends who are football players, right? And then later on in life, they started to experience memory loss and potentially get diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's as a result of all the hits potentially they may have taken during the years of sports. It could just be a car accident. It could just be a fall. You're talking to someone who dispenses a lot of medication that is used to help with mood. That's Our pharmacy deals with a lot of medication-assisted treatment. I dispense a lot of medications that potentially can make you tired. So the good news is a lot of Alzheimer's medications doesn't cause drowsiness, but many of those folks who are dealing with their underlying condition are on medication that can put them at risk for a fall. So there's another issue that we want to talk about if we're diagnosing Alzheimer's. We talked about potentially the medication be a cause for the memory loss. Not necessarily that you're just aging out and you're just getting so old, you're getting older and your body's just not capable of being able to handle what it used to, but that's also a grim reality potentially that some people will face. So I say all that to say, let's have a more of a positive outlook on what Alzheimer's is. Not to say we don't have on this call, but any of our listeners, if you were diagnosed with Alzheimer's, Make sure you understand that it's just a word. It does not mean that you can't function on your own. You just may need more assistance. Alzheimer's, the name is simply just a message, a reminder to you that you are still a well-abled person to do a lot of things on your own independently. Now, the medications that we, if we do decide to go that route, the drug I see most is a drug called Aricept. It's a very clean drug. Now, if anyone does experience a side effect, sometimes it's an upset stomach. Really hard to diagnose if that's the medication, right? Because an upset stomach could come from just about anything. But that's common. And I've talked, being part of the interdisciplinary team as a pharmacist, I talk to not just the doctor, but I'm also talking to the nurses and potentially the caregiver that comes into the pharmacy. So all that information has to be evaluated under the right lens or with the right lens, right? So I want to make sure before I want to stop a medication that the stomach uh, upset may come from another drug that maybe we dispense. But number first and foremost, I always think it's important to establish what your baseline is. And don't just do that with trying to recall that information. You want to start potentially a journal. So for all the caregivers out there, I think it's once it's a little bit more work. I've talked to these caregiver, caregivers. It's very stressful for them. It's you know, and, and we don't. I don't even like using that word because to the person who's diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it feels like it's a burden to them for those loved ones to carry. carry. And that's not the case for many of these folks. It's just a discussion that we're having today. But I do encourage that journal. If someone is experiencing diarrhea, some of these drugs potentially can cause that. We want to make sure that if you are experiencing that, when did it start? How many episodes? Is there something we can give to remedy that? But more importantly, after a month or two or three of taking the drug, have we seen any progress? And that's a very difficult measure uh, for that for that caregiver or that person. Does that mean simply that I'm able to drive around the block and not have to not need assistance or simply feed myself? Is it just adult daily living skills? What is that measure? And I think that that early uh, research that maybe you've done prior to even going to see your doctor is where that becomes valuable again, right? But again, remember that if you decide to go on the web, data can be endless, right? (laughs) So you have to be very careful with that. You could find more data than you've ever imagined, and that can become overwhelming, right? You just I always tell my kids, you can become a very sharp knife, but at some point, you sharpen the knife, it actually becomes dull, right? So you have to be very, very careful when we're talking about medication. 
I see, okay, I am going to mention, I want to add, my, I'm sorry, one medication by name. I see ads on television about Prevagen, which my understanding is it's not for people who have to, Alzheimer's, but for people who say, gee, I just want yes. to look like those people on TV who are living their yes. best life. Now, Prevagen lately is just very difficult to even keep on the shelves, right? Because it's gained a lot of popularity. Now, we're talking about non-pharmacologic drugs at this point, right? The drug that I just mentioned, there are many other drugs that, that can be used to treat Alzheimer's, but this is a drug that you could just go out and purchase on your own. So then that becomes less regulated, right? You don't even have to stop and say, hey, Dr. J, what's going on? What's going on with Prevagen? You don't even have to do that. If I'm not there, the pharmacy's closed, you can just pick that up on your own. And before you change your biochemistry with anything, especially when it comes to your memory, make sure you've asked a healthcare professional or you yourself as a healthcare professional feel very confident that when you take it, that you understand what potentially could uh, come from that medication, right? So Prevagen, in my opinion, I've done a lot of research on it last year when it was I couldn't keep it. I said, what in the world's going on here? And um, I, I do feel like the product is generally safe. That's kind of the recommendation by the FDA, that it is a generally safe medication. But it's not tested by the FDA, okay? Many drugs that you will get that are over-the-counter drugs are not regulated by the FDA. So that's very important for you to understand that when you pick up a drug or you pick up Prevagen and you've paid almost $60, that you understand you come talk to myself or some your doctor and say, look, what is the active ingredient in this drug? I may be throwing out a term that is more medical jargon by saying active ingredient but again if you're going to alter your your biochemistry you want to make sure you ask all the right questions okay so so if, if you're at the cookout this summer and family members say gee you should try prevagen or i've heard of lecithin or whatever you should say to them i would talk to your doctor about that if you're at the cookout and someone says you know um Brother Bob seems to be acting a little strange lately, then somebody should have a conversation with Brother Bob. If you're at the cookout and you're about to eat that fourth plate of whatever your doctor has said is not good for you because of your blood pressure, your heart condition or whatever, you should think long and hard about the impact that's having on you long term and short term. I completely agree okay. with that statement. Yes. So I would just say this. Um, I personally have talked, met with patients who have taken Prevagen, and they have seen some level of uh, success. So... Even though we're in the genetic component, you know, there are different types of uh, genes.
things that are potentially creating different levels of freedom also are things that are related to Ten seconds. Ten seconds. 